Hi, everyone. I'll be reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart, and he gently leads those that have young. And the second reading is from John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I, down, and, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not, are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. This is the word of the Lord. It's great to be with you guys today as we continue our Advent series. Uh, I've started my Advent calendar, which is very exciting for me. Uh, we also have one for Danny. She regularly forgets to eat it, so often I get to double up. Uh, but as much as I like chocolate, uh, this series at church is also really joyful for me. Um, I suppose I should correctly say more joyful, uh, but it's a treat for me to be preaching through the book, uh, through this part of Isaiah, one of the really fantastic books of the Old Testament, full of beautiful Hebrew poetry that is relevant for us now as we consider what our hope is, particularly as we think about the lead up to Christmas. Last week, we heard from verses 1 to 8 and also uh, sneakily into verse 9 uh, as well that, that the Lord is coming. We saw a herald running an announcement of the coming king and to prepare the way for him, that while the people may stumble and fail, the eternal Lord will stand forever and his word will endure. Well, today, as we continue to consider Isaiah 40, we are going to learn more about the nature of this good news and the nature of the coming king. How about we start by praying? Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you so much for your word now. We pray as we consider the warrior shepherd and what that means for us, as we consider the hope that is to come, that we will be comforted in our darkness and joyful in the face of everything that we could come across in this world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I think something that we're often not very good at is, well, I think most people in the room would agree, we're not very good at spreading the good news in general. Uh, generally, it's something that kind of slips off our mind. It's not the main thing that we're kind of thinking about throughout our week when we come across people. But something we are real good at is rumors. Uh, in my experience throughout most of my life, I've been very, very happy to get some of the tea, right? I'm, I'm very keen when people are ready to share some informa information that they got on the inside. Uh, my most negative experience of this came when I was in year three. Uh, I was lining up with other people, uh, well, my, with my classmates, to uh, go to the swimming pool. Uh, we were lining up outside the swimming pool for swimming lessons. Yes, we do have swimming lessons in England. Uh, and I made the mistake of sharing 
with the person, my friend, Jack, who was stood next to me, that I had a bit of a crush on a girl called Rosetta in our class. Uh, about 20 mi minutes later, the entire class was chanting, Tom loves Rosetta. Uh, it spread like absolute wildfire. Uh, in the face of someone who had said, I wouldn't tell anyone, you can trust me, you're my, one of my best friends in this class, uh, the, the news spread quickly. And news should spread fast, but not that type of news, but the news that we have here. If you look at verse 9, the good news spreads. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout, lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Now, with these verses, I'm forced to do something today that I hate doing from the front of church, uh, and it will be a rarity, uh, and that's to talk about the original language. Uh, Isaiah is written in Hebrew, and sometimes, and I mean, I like to think a very, very small percentage of the time, the NIV Bibles that we use don't quite get it right. Uh, so I'm going to give you my translation of this verse now, because I think that the difference is important. Go up on a high mountain, O herald Zion. Lift up your voice with a shout, O herald Jerusalem. Shout, do not fear. Say to the towns of Judah, behold your God. Uh, if you want to talk to me about this after the service, then you're welcome to come and grab me. But I think the reason for it, and the, the reason that this is really significant, is that it is affecting the way that we see the news is spreading. Where it was the messenger in the previous verses who are bringing the news to Jerusalem, now the news is going from Jerusalem to the rest of the country of Judah. The pattern is that people hear the good news and their response is to spread it further. This is a message of hope for all people to hear, that the pain that they face in exile is not the end and will not be the way of things forever. There is hope for the future. Now, in the context of exile, the image of a coming king is actually very powerful. They face oppression. They face poverty, suffering at the hands of foreign rulers who control them at the time and have destroyed their way of life. But Isaiah 40 is not a passage for just these sufferers, but for all sufferers, those who suffered in the Babylonian exile, but then it would be read by those who suffered under the nations that were to come, and yes, those under the yoke of Roman occupation in the first century. It is a message that those waiting for their human king to come and for those of us now waiting for the return of our King Jesus. It is a message for us in Advent as we remember the time when the King of the world who was predicted in these words arrives. And so they are words that we can celebrate together, knowing how they will come about. We see following the coming of Jesus that the disciples' response was exactly the same thing. The news comes first from the herald being John the Baptist. They're then lucky enough to see the king for themselves. And then we see them take it to the rest of Judea and Samaria with the intent of the rest of the world. And now we sit within that tradition. The king is coming. 
we will too receive this news with such, will we too receive this news with such excitement that we are unable to contain it? Is that how you feel about this truth? Well, if this news is indeed good news for all mankind, then what is it? And the rest of our passage today starts to answer that through two different but quite closely aligned descriptions of this king. Behold your God. Well, what is he like? I think we all have people in our lives that make us feel safe, people that kind of give airs of power or that they've got things under control uh, in this situation, people that you kind of turn to when you're scared and think things will look after it. Um, a guy who was like this in my life uh, when I was in basic training in the military uh, was a guy called Sergeant Craig. Uh, Sergeant Craig was equal parts terrifying and also kind of made me feel safe to be around him. Uh, he was someone who was kind of very, very good at his job, but also very scary. Uh, one of my most vivid memories of him was I was only about eight weeks into basic training and we were outfield just having the worst time ever. And I woke, up, I woke up in the morning kind of on the ground in a sleeping bag under my hoochie and I looked out and we're down in Canberra and it was kind of cold and there was a mist across through the forest. And at five in the morning, I just see Sergeant Craig emerge from the mist, walking completely upright, wearing aviators, and smoking a Churchill-sized cigar. And I just thought, man, if I'm around that guy, everything's going to be okay. He makes me feel safe. See, the Sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. The first part of the comfort is the power of this king. That the people know that the great rulers of this world, that their oppressors will not be victorious, but that their God will come with a mighty arm. An image that is then used and will continue for the rest of the book of Isaiah. That he will have power over their enemies, he will claim all their glory and spoils for himself, and that the nation, the world, will be his. This is an image of fierce power and victory as God comes bearing the spoils of his victory as proof. And in the context of the exile, it was so easy for God's people to believe that the enemies had won. They were the ones holding all the power and people, you know, people tend to respond to what's right in front of them, right? The physical and visible victories of these kings seemed all-encompassing. God's people, after the exile, will continue. They'll, they'll suffer time and time again, and they will be tempted to believe that they have lost. They are tempted to lose hope, and many of them do. What they need to hear at this time is that their God is more powerful than their oppressors, and he is coming. They need to know that the way things are are not the way that they will be and that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Remember everything he has done. He is coming. Hold on. Uh, there was another person who tended to be quite important for me during that same basic training process, uh, and it was my platoon commander, uh, a woman called Lieutenant Phelps. Uh, she did not have the terrifying features that Sergeant Craig had. 
Uh, she was an incredibly caring person. We sometimes felt like she bent the rules out of a desire to make us feel a bit better about what was going on. Uh, I could talk to her about things that were going wrong, basically. Uh, if I was scared or worried, or I thought like, you know, I need to kind of pull myself together and push on in a tough way, I went to Sergeant Craig. When I needed someone to kind of give me a tap on the shoulder and care for me, I went to Lieutenant Phelps. Uh, we used to sometimes refer to them as mum and dad, uh, but Sergeant Craig used to punish us for doing that. Uh, so it wasn't really worth it. But definitely was how we often felt. Well, check out the other side of this king. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. He is both of these people together. This king, this God, is not like the other kings that they knew of, out for himself. To establish power over people and rule as one serving himself, no, that would not be him. He will not replace the other kings in power and then rule like them. This warrior king is also a shepherd. And like a shepherd, he gathers the lambs in his arms, he holds them close and gently leads them. This king is not only immensely powerful, but also immensely caring. He cares for the sheep. He takes responsibility for their care, for their protection. He is here for the weak to be their strength when they cannot defend my, themselves. Comfort, comfort my people in verse 1. Comfort, your king cares for you. He protects you. He seeks you. He knows you. Comfort. He is powerful. He is in control. He is the king above all kings who will rule forever and is victorious over all powers. This is the king of hope that we need in our world. He is powerful and caring, fierce and tender, victorious and merciful. When Jesus comes as king, it sometimes feels like his disciples have forgotten the second half of this description. They constantly encourage him towards armed revolution. But in John 10, and it'd be great if you could jump back to that passage now, in John 10, Jesus reveals more to us about what it means for our God to be a shepherd. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks and the flock scatters. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will hasten to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord." I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. 
You know, often when we think about uh, the job of a shepherd, uh, I think we often think of like just kind of hanging out, cuddling sheep. Um, there's, I think there's a few jobs kicking around that sound a lot easier than they actually are. Um, the classic one is when your friend asks you to help them move, right? Sounds easy enough is the worst thing you can do to another human being, right? Asking them to help you move. It's kind of a form of punishing them for being your friend, giving you pizza as if pizza is somehow kind of some worthy measurement of your use of time. Anyway, maybe that's just some personal bitterness coming out. Um, the one that I found, though, was in between leaving the army and going into ministry, um, I needed some extra cash so that I could eat food, uh, and I started doing arboring. Now, arboring is cutting down trees or trimming hedges. Cutting down trees sounds super easy. You think, I'm just going to grab a chainsaw, I'm just going to slice and dice, and it's going to come down. Not only is it more complicated than that, but also, when you start doing it, you aren't the guy who gets the chainsaw. Turns out you're the guy who picks the logs up off the floor and throws them in the chipper and hopes you to go in too, right? Sounded super easy in my head, but actually it came with a bunch of danger and it was actually quite hard a lot of the time. Being a shepherd came with a huge amount of risk. Being a shepherd in the ancient world meant that your life was on the line. You may well be called to die in the defense and protection of your sheep. And this is where our understanding of God completely undermines all understanding of powerful kings in the world. It is transformed because the king who is announced in Isaiah 40 is one who truly cares about the welfare of his people as a shepherd, who truly seeks to free them from their oppression and lift them up who would free the Israelites from their enemies, and then when he truly comes in the birth of Jesus, would liberate us from the oppression of sin and death through self-sacrifice. Because when the wolf came, the shepherd did what the shepherd is meant to do. Christmas is a tricky time of year for a lot of people. For some of us, it's good times with family. But for many, it is the time when the suffering of our lives is at its most acute. Many of us here feel like we are walking in the darkness, wondering when our liberation will come. Maybe like the Israelites, you are on the very edge of whether you believe in this hope anymore. The suffering has gone on for too long. It is too big. Where is my God? Where is my King? I think even as Christians, we have a habit of finding our hope in the event of Christmas, right? In the time spent with family, in the days off, in the food, and in the sharing of this time. But not all of us have these things. Some of us are completely without. And if our standard for hope at Christmas is found in the same things that the world finds hope in, then many of us are going to feel like we have not received a lot of hope around Christmas. We must not let our standard of hope and joy be found in these things. Christmas brings many things to mind for us, but for us to truly see the hope, for us to truly benefit from it in a real and tangible way, we need to be reminded that there is a light at the end of the tunnel of suffering. But there is a light at the end of the, of the tunnel of suffering, of sin and death. It is the freedom from the oppression of our sin. It is the proof 
the proof that God fulfills his promises, that he is who he truly says he is when he comes as the one in power and that he uses his power to protect and care for his sheep. That is why on Christmas Day, as inconvenient as it is, we still have church because the hope we find in this warrior shepherd king is the unchangeable truth that unites us all. None of us should be alone this Christmas if we don't want to be, because this united hope should bring us together at 9.30 a.m., if anyone's wondering. One of the great joys that we have is that we are not waiting to find out like they are in Isaiah. The first Christmas was the moment But every Christmas since then is a reminder that we are not waiting in the same way that they are. We get to look back on the moment. They had to hope in the future that the hope would come true. We hope in the proof that God did come through with what he promised. We saw a crescendo of hope, the moment when light shone into the darkness and the work of redemption began. As we see in these passages, this is a great comfort for us that is to be enjoyed while we wait, but not just for you and I, because God's purpose is that we increase our enjoyment through the spreading of that joy to others for the glory of God, that we stand on the mountain of Zion and tell people to trust the Lord. God does not forsake the people who have forsaken him. He takes the initiative. And so we will too. And so we know the outcome of this first part of the good news that is expressed in verses 9 to 11. Those in Isaiah hear about this king, but we not only know who this king is, we know his name. And so as we receive this hope, as we hear it, and as we tell others in our lives about this good news that it was not just received by Jerusalem, that they shouted it to the rest of the nation, that we would hear this news, this hope, and share it with others because good news should travel. That people would know that when they come along to a Christmas service that you've invited them to, it is because they're coming to hear about the moment that this powerful, victorious, yet caring God came came to begin the work of establishing his kingdom in the world that this was the time when our true hope in the freedom from tyranny and sin would be decreed and we will stand together as we wait for this hope to be fully realized. Because this side of the birth of Jesus, we have the proof that the good shepherd would lay down his life for his sheep. And so we stand in the hope of this king who first came to earth in a manger in Bethlehem because you can trust this God of power and care, even more than you can trust yourself and how you are feeling. You can trust this God, absolutely. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who fulfills his promises and have proven that time and time again. We pray that this Christmas, Lord, that we would find our comfort in you, that when we are afraid, we find hope in your power that when we are hurt, we find comfort in your care as a shepherd. Father, we thank you that you are the God who has set us free and who will reign for eternity.
Father, we thank you that we know the name of our King, and that name is Jesus, and in his name I pray. Amen.